Hello, welcome to a Christmas edition of The Good Life. I wanted to read an article today that a friend of mine over in the UK shared, and it really impressed me. It's written by a man named David Frost. He is a conservative or a Tory member of the House of Lords in Britain, and he has an article in The Telegraph, uh, a UK newspaper, entitled, Christmas Offers a Glimpse of a World that is Lost. As I read it this morning, there's a story that was dear to me regarding a particular Christmas carol, so I wanted to share this with you. I'm going to read the whole article because the message goes beyond the initial story. So here goes. It is the last festival not to have been almost totally desacralized, and it is surely all the richer for it. Around the year 1400, a monk at the Abbey of Bury St. Edmunds, possibly one John Bardwell, wrote down what is now the only surviving text of the Christmas carol, I Sing of a Maiden That is Matchless. The carol was seemingly well known in its day, but its memory was lost after the Reformation, and it was only rediscovered by Victorian antiquarians. Or was it quite so lost? In 1933, the American composer John Jacob Niles was traveling in the Appalachians in search of folk tunes. Near Mayfield, Kentucky, he noted down and later published Sing We the Virgin Mary, now a carol in its own right. The resemblance to the 15th century medieval text are too close to be coincidental. The one has clearly evolved from the other. What power kept this fragmentary lyric alive, unrecorded for 500 years from East Anglia to the Appalachian upcountry? In this near-miraculous survival, as the New Oxford Book of Carols calls it, we have in microcosm something important even in our modern secular world. A belief maybe only half expressed, that Christmas is more than just a day of festivity. It is a time of year when we preserve traditions that might otherwise be lost, give space to beliefs that we otherwise push to the back of our minds, and take actions that we might not at other times of year. It is our one remaining festival where we cannot avoid the religious element and do not necessarily want to. John Bardwell, if it was he, lived in a society where an alternative to belief in God was almost impossible to conceive. More, he inhabited a world imagined as an arena of titanic supernatural conflict, one in which a gap between the spiritual and the mundane was much less than in ours, where one certain, one where certain objects were thought to have mighty spiritual power, not just the host, the bread and wine in the mass, but also shrines and saints' relics. Now I'm going to interject here. You may not, and certainly you don't have to, believe in spiritual power and saints' relics and the like to adhere and to appreciate his point. So don't let that be a stumbling block when you are listening. His grander point is simply the world in which we live today is by and large, not necessarily by me or by you, uh, but by and large is considered 
a secular one. Charles Taylor documents this quite well in his book, A Secular Age, when he says, uh, he talks about that once there was no secular. The idea of living in a world that was not inhabited by the supernatural, not only the triune God, but in things everywhere, most of which we could not see, some of which we could see, though, that's impossible for them to conceive of, whereas for us today, it's the norm. Back now to David Frost. Cathedrals and churches were built so as to convey these realities, as Abbot Serger more or less invented the inventor of Gothic architecture wrote of it, quote, The noble work is bright, but being nobly bright, the work should brighten the minds, allowing them to travel through the light to the true light. End quote. John Jacob Niles transcribed the successor carol in a world where all of that had been lost. Western society has become desacralized over the previous half millennium. Today, if we are non-believers, we think this world is all there is, and regard earlier ways of thinking as simply absurd. Even if we are believers, we still often have a mental model under which God has set the material universe going, but remains fundamentally outside of, not shot through it day to day. Again, I'm breaking in here, but Dr. Paul Tyson, in his book, Seven Lessons on Magic, documents this exact thing in his uh, discussion of the four eras of uh, the belief in magic. And you can find that I did a podcast on it earlier called uh, The Church. Let's see, I think that something like The Church versus Magic, I did not look it up. But that's the type of thing Mr. Frost is referring to here. And that is even the world that I was raised in as a Christian, that God is up there and we are down here. And sometimes when we pray, he will insert himself. He will come down and do something. But that's abnormal. And of course, the incarnation is when he sent his son, Jesus, to come. And he came into the world, but then in that view, he then ascended, and now it's back to the way it was, except now we have the opportunity of salvation. But according to what Mr. Frost is saying, and many others, certainly that's not the actual world in which we live. Back to David Frost. For almost all Westerners, there is nothing special about the world. It is flat. Objects' material function is the primary point of their existence, a worldview which in art and architecture is perhaps one reason for the pervasive ugliness of so much of our built environment over the past hundred years. Yet maybe this way of thinking is not enough. Many of us feel the need for something. We turn to nature, to architectural beauty, to music to fill the gap. And at this time of year, Acknowledge it or not, we also have Christmas. We often speak of the magic of Christmas, and I don't think that is coincidental. I agree with those like the Reverend Daniel French, one of the, one of the irreverent podcast trio, who argue that Christmas is the one remaining time of year when we still have a glimmer, through a glass darkly, of how the world before it was disenchanted. In that world, 
where the calendar had a symbolic as well as a temporal meaning, certain days were fuller of spiritual power than others. As Marcellus put it in Hamlet, on Christmas Eve, quote, no spirit dares stir abroad, no planet strike, no fairy takes, no witch hath power to charm, so hallowed and so gracious is the time, end quote. Christmas is still the last festival not to have been almost totally desacralized. For Christians, it is that moment when God steps into the world as a character, not just as the author. Others, too, surely identify with the core story of motherhood and vulnerability. But more, the familiar story, the lights, the tree, the carols, the candles, all have a power they do not have at other times of year. The angels, the shepherds, the animals, all are essential to the tale, even though there is no proof, end quote. We are not the creators of this story, merely the custodians. I can't help but stop here and say that is a powerful sentence, that we are not the creators, we are the custodians. God has made us the stewards of the mysteries that were hidden from the foundation of the world and are now revealed to us. So we are his holy stewards. Back to Frost. This, that tradition matters. It is not by chance that, even in our own families, we often have Christmas traditions. The way we do things in our house, whose only function is to create continuity and bring us together. So maybe... It is not so surprising that John Bardwell's carol to the Virgin was never entirely lost. The miracle at the heart of it retains its power today as it did 500 years ago and more. Blessed Maiden, Mother, benown to prophecy, now Jesus is a borning, and all men honor thee. We all have traditions. And now this is me speaking. We all have traditions, things that we do. And many of those traditions were not created by us. They're things that were handed down to us. And our parents received them from their parents. And even the traditions that you started that maybe your family didn't hand down, some of those are traditions you learn from someone else. The beautiful thing about tradition is we don't make it up. We receive it. We receive this time of year. This Christmas season is one that the church not only delights in, but people, no matter how secular they are, delight in. They enjoy this gift, this gift of God to them. They, maybe they're only enjoying the benefits, but they are enjoying these gifts. And this is a time for us, then, as stewards of the sacred mysteries of God, to make it known. And we declare it in our songs, in our words, in our sacrificial giving. We demonstrate that God has come into his world, not only as one who comes temporarily, but one who now dwells on earth with men. And he still does, not in the person of Christ, but in the through his spirit, the Holy Spirit who dwells 
with us. So as you enjoy this season, remember you're not only in your celebrations, your traditions, all that you do, you're not only enjoying this for yourself, but the joy with which you celebrate, you are displaying the gifts of God. And when you welcome others into your celebration and traditions, you are sharing the gifts of God. You are retaining this one great gift from Him given to us and celebrated this time of year. So I hope you can enjoy your Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful, delightful, Merry Christmas, and I look forward to talking to you again soon.